one of the more remarkable aspects of the birth of Christ is that the immediate impulse of heaven and earth in response to the coming of the Messiah was to burst forth in glad and grateful song. It's as if the joy of the coming of the Savior overflowed the hearts of men and angels and of God Himself and none could help but to erupt in songs of praise. I think there is a reason that we love to sing at Christmas that goes beyond sheer sentimental nostalgia surrounding Christmas carols. The dawning of our redemption is an event of such tremendous majesty and grace and glory that mere words, merely talking about it, will not suffice. We have to sing in order to express just a glimpse of our joy and our wonder. And I think that's why the first two chapters of Luke's Gospel contain song after song after song after song. Four songs in total known as the Songs of the Nativity, each of which are identified by their first Latin words. There's the Song of Mary, known as the Magnificat. There's the Song of Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, known as the Benedictus. There's the Song of the Angels to the Shepherds, known as the Gloria in Excelsis Deo. And there's the Song of Simeon there in the temple courts, a song known as the Nunc Dimittis. Today we're going to turn our attention to the song of Mary, the Magnificat. It's found in Luke chapter 2. The title comes from the first word of the Latin translation, Magnificat, anima mea dominu, my soul magnifies the Lord. And in this song, Mary, the mother of Jesus, praises God for the great work of salvation which He has begun in causing her to conceive in her womb the child Jesus, who is the Messiah, the Son of God. And over the next two weeks, we will view the birth of Christ from the perspective of Mary, a poor Galilean girl who couldn't have been more than 15 years of age when the time that the angel appeared to her with the greatest news in the history of all the world. Today we're going to look at the background of the Magnificat, the events which led up to her famous song. These being Mary's two encounters, the first with the angel Gabriel, who announced to her the impending birth of her child, and the second with her cousin Elizabeth, and with the child who was in Elizabeth's womb. The next week, as we were forced to push everything back because of the ice last week. Next week, we'll look at the Magnificat itself, the song that sprung from Mary's heart at the thought of God's imminent salvation, which He was bringing through the birth of the baby who was growing in her womb. And my hope and my prayer is that over the next two weeks, this morning and next week, through this meditation upon the birth of Christ, is that we'll have the same effect arising in our heart that seems to have arisen in the heart of everyone who came into contact 
with Jesus at his birth. Mary, Zechariah, Simeon, and the angelic chorus. I pray that our hearts this morning and next will overflow with the same joy. And we'll find that by the time we're done, we can't help but sing. Presents, meals, family, as good as those things are, we won't feel completed this morning until we have arisen to stand and sing the wonder and joy of the salvation which God has given through this child. The first encounter is with the angel Gabriel, in which Mary is told that she is to conceive and give birth to the Messiah. And so we begin up in verse 26 of chapter 1. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. What did Mary learn from this angelic announcement of the impending conception and birth of the holy child? I want to point out to you three significant details in the angelic announcement that revealed to Mary just who she was going to be carrying in her womb. First, the angel told her that the child's name will be Jesus. Second, he said that the child would be the son of David. And third, that he will also be the son of God. Gabriel says to Mary in verse 31, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. What is significant about that? What's important about the name Jesus, such as the angel would come and inform Mary, this is what you shall name him. He will be called Jesus. Well, here we need to pause and have a little lesson in the biblical languages. Jesus is the English rendering of the Greek name Iesus. Iesus is the Greek translation of the Hebrew name Yeshua. So among his own Jewish people, when he was being raised in Nazareth of Galilee, he would have been known as Yeshua. 
In Matthew 1.21, when the angel of the Lord said to Joseph and announced the birth of Jesus, he said, she, Mary, will bear a son and you shall call his name Yeshua for he will save his people from their sins. In ancient cultures, names had meanings. They were often prophetic in their nature and the name Yeshua is no different. Yeshua is a Hebrew name meaning the Lord is salvation or the Lord saves. That's why the angel of the Lord told Joseph, you will call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. You are to give him a name commensurate with the great work which he is to perform. You see, by giving this child the name of Jesus, Yeshua, the angel was prophesying that Jesus would be the Savior of his people. That he would redeem them from the penalty of their sins. And the significance of that name would not have been lost on a devout Jewish girl from Galilee. Who, as we will see later, next week, was absolutely steeped in the Old Testament Scriptures. She knew what the name Yeshua meant. And she knew what it meant that the child she would be carrying was to be called Jesus. She would have immediately known this this baby to be miraculously conceived within her womb. To be born from her nine months later was the promised one. The long-awaited Messiah the Savior and the Redeemer of God's people, she knew. Gabriel goes on to tell Mary, verse 32, He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will know no end. So what's significant about him being the Son of David? Well, throughout the Old Testament, it was revealed through the prophets that the Messiah was going to come through David's line. He would be a descendant of Israel's greatest king and would therefore be the true and legitimate heir of David's throne, the true king of Israel. This is why Herod was in such an uproar when he heard that the king of the Jews was being born in Bethlehem. In, in the Old Testament scriptures like Genesis 49, 2 Samuel 7, Isaiah 7, 9, and 11, Jeremiah 23, just to name a few, it was revealed that the messianic descendant of David would be an everlasting king, a king whose kingdom would know no end, a king who would reign forever upon the throne of his father, a king who would reign over a kingdom in righteousness and peace forever. Well, once again, this significance would not have been lost on Mary. She had heard Isaiah 7 and 9 and 11. She knew the prophecy of Jeremiah 23, that of the righteous branch who would come from David and who would reign forever over the kingdom of God's people. So she knew through the angelic announcement that the child who she would carry was the promised son of David who would bring God's everlasting kingdom to pass upon the earth. She knew that it was her baby of whom Isaiah had spoken. For unto us a child is born. 
Unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. That's Mary's baby. Finally, Gabriel who had already informed Mary that the Holy Child will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, tells her in verse 35, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. Okay, so she says, I'm a virgin. How, how will this be? And Gabriel says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born shall be called Holy. The Son of God. So not only will Mary's baby be the Savior of God's people, not only will He be the King of God's people, the child who will be conceived in Mary's womb by the Holy Spirit will be God in the flesh. The Holy Child will be the Son of God. God incarnate. Isaiah 7.14 begins to run through Mary's mind. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Gabriel's telling her God himself will come down to rescue and to redeem and to reign over his people, and he will come through your womb. The name Jesus told Mary that her child would be the Savior, the one who would save his people from their sins. That he would be the son of David, told Mary that her child would be the Davidic king who would reign eternally over God's kingdom in righteousness and truth and peace. And that he would be the son of God, told Mary that the child would be none other than the divine Messiah, the one who would mediate the new covenant between God and His people. Can you imagine the thoughts running through Mary's mind as she lays down to sleep that night? I mean, how do you even process something like that? The climax of redemptive history is upon her. God Himself is going to break into time and history in order to redeem and to save the people whom he loves, and he was going to begin in this 15-year-old womb. What would your response be? Well, here was Mary's. Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be done to me. According to your word. In the course of his announcement of the birth of Jesus, Gabriel informed Mary that her relative, her cousin Elizabeth, was also with child and indeed was in her sixth month. So Mary immediately packs her bags and she travels down south to visit Elizabeth. And so we pick up again in verse 39. In those days, Mary arose. 
and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Okay, this is the second greeting that forms the background to Mary's song. This really is an incredible passage when we understand what's going on in this moment, this climactic moment of redemptive history. All right, you have two women, one very young and one very old, carrying within their wombs two sons of promise whose birth was foretold by the Old Testament prophets, two children miraculously conceived. Elizabeth, who we were told was barren and past childbearing years, and Mary, who was an unwed virgin. I want you to listen to what Philip Ryken, who's the president of Wheaton College, wrote regarding this encounter between Mary and Elizabeth. He says, Theologians call this meeting the visitation. How precious it must have been for Mary and Elizabeth to embrace, to share their good news, and to discuss what God has done. What they shared was unique. They alone were chosen to bear the children of promise, and they were the first to know that God had come to redeem His people. The visitation was not for Mary and Elizabeth only, however, but also for their sons. John was the greatest prophet of the Old Covenant, the one called to announce the coming of the Christ. Jesus was the Christ, the Lord of the New Covenant. So when Mary met Elizabeth, the covenants connected. Both sons joined under one roof, and like the electrical contact between two power stations, the results were explosive. There was a spontaneous outburst of exultant joy as the old covenant greeted and gave way to the new. All within this little home in Judea. The word that best describes this entire visitation between Mary and Elizabeth is the word joy. The first to express this joy at the arrival of Christ was John. Six months in utero, John, who is filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. It was John's ministry as the forerunner to prepare the way and announce the arrival of the Christ. He was the voice crying in the wilderness, preparing the way of the Lord, according to Isaiah 40 and verse 1. And John began to fulfill his ministry before he was even born, while still in Elizabeth's womb. He's preaching the gospel of the Messiah, even from the womb, declaring the arrival of Christ to his very own mother. In verse 44, Elizabeth tells Mary, For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Now, 
you mothers, you know what it feels like for the baby to begin squirming, right? And, and husbands and fathers, you know kind of that really strange looking when the elbows or the feet rub across the front of the stomach and it looks sort of freaky, kind of like alien happening right there. Elizabeth knew that feeling, but this was different. This was different. This unborn child experienced joy at the presence of Christ. This six-month-old baby experienced joy at the presence of Christ. Not the point of the message, but surely there's something here about the sanctity of human life. Later, when Jesus began His public ministry, John would testify to the same joy. John 3.29, there by the Jordan River. John said, the one who has the bride is the bridegroom. A little context here. John's disciples have come up to John and they're upset because Jesus and his disciples are baptizing more converts than they are. And many who once were following John have gone and begun to follow Jesus. And, and they're seeing their ministry significance begin to decline and diminish. And they want John to help make sense of all this. And John says, why are you worried? The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. I'm not the bridegroom. And in fact, I'm the friend of the bridegroom and my entire life has been coming up to this point. Three months before I was born, my joy began and it has been increasing and is now made complete now that the Messiah has come. Let them all go to Him. John's ministry was completed by the Jordan River when he pointed to Jesus and announced, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John's joy was wrapped up in the baby in Mary's womb, and in the Lamb of God standing by the Jordan River. John's joy began in his mother's womb when he heard the voice of the mother of his Lord. And John's joy was completed when he saw the heavens opened and the Spirit descending upon Jesus and the voice from heaven declaring, You are my beloved Son, and in you I am well pleased. And everything within John's soul says yes and amen. The next person to express joy at the arrival of Christ was Elizabeth, who bursts out in spontaneous praise. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came upon my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. How did Elizabeth know all this? All Mary had said was, hello. And suddenly she knows everything. How did Elizabeth know that Mary was pregnant? 
She's not showing it. How did she know that the child in Mary's womb was her Lord? Mary hadn't said anything about her dream. How did she know that Mary had believed the angelic announcement? The answer is that she didn't in and of herself. It had been revealed to her by the Holy Spirit through her baby boy prophet. Indeed, the recognition and confession of Jesus as the Christ and Lord and Son of God is only ever brought about by the Holy Spirit and His revelation to our hearts. Do you remember when Jesus asked His disciples, Matthew chapter 16, who do people say that I am? And they responded, well, some say John the Baptist, risen from the dead. Some say Elijah or one of the prophets. And he says, well, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter responds, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answers Peter and says, blessed are you, Simon, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. It is only by the Holy Spirit sent by the Father who is from heaven that anyone ever recognizes Jesus as the Christ and confesses Him with joy as Lord and Savior. That's what I pray will happen to some of you today. The same Spirit who revealed to Elizabeth's heart the mother of your Lord is standing before you would say to some of your hearts, the Savior of the world is available for you. When the Holy Spirit reveals Christ to our hearts and we behold His glory, the glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth, there is produced within our souls a deep, deep joy that bursts forth in confession as it did in Elizabeth. Have you ever experienced that? A joy that arises from the depths of your very soul that you know is, is linked to Christ and produced by the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> Five years ago this December, I was driving to St. Louis. I still remember where it happened. It was on that stretch of Highway 54 between Jeff City and Kingdom City. I was heading to preach my grandmother's funeral. It was after lunch and my children were sleeping in the back of the van. We had Abby and Benjamin and a newborn Isaac. Ashley was dozing off in the seat next to me and I was lost in thought. Listening to Handel's Messiah through my headphones. And I was thinking about the next day and running through what I was going to say at the funeral. And the emotions from my grandmother's death were still raw. They were still sitting just below the surface. Eternal realities were swirling through my mind as they often do prior to funerals. My grandmother was a lifelong Catholic. But in her last months, I had an opportunity to go and to visit with her and I prayed fervently beforehand and by God's grace and providence I found her on that day clear-headed the the clouds of Alzheimer's seemed to have just broken 
And I had a conversation with her that I would never have again. And I'll never forget sitting with her at her dining room table. Bible that my dad had given her in hopes that she would read it as far, read it as, far as I know. And the years since he had given it to her, it had never come out of its box. I'd gone and I'd gotten and I opened it up on the table and she's sitting to the left of me and I'm sitting to the right and we're open to Romans chapter 3 and verse by verse I'm walking this 76-year-old woman with Alzheimer's, a lifelong Catholic, clear-headed through the gospel of justification. By grace, through faith, alone in Christ. It was a holy time. She asked questions of eternal significance and I answered from the gospel. And so I'm driving. Three months later, she collapsed on her foyer floor and died. So I'm driving there and thoughts of justification and death and resurrection and Christ and my grandmother are all swirling through my head and my heart and I suddenly realize that the hallelujah chorus has come on. And it gets to that part where the choir is singing, the kingdoms of this world are become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ. And He shall reign forever and ever. And then the orchestration just stops. And the altos and the sopranos call out in unison that great coronation line, King of kings. And the tenors and the basses answer back in antiphonal praise forever and ever. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Altos and the sopranos come back and say, and Lord of lords. The men come in forever and ever. Hallelujah, hallelujah. And then the trumpet breaks in just crisp and clear as a frosty morning dawn and the, nails those five descending notes. Da-da-da-da-da. And the refrain is repeated again with this increasing intensity. King of kings forever and ever. Hallelujah, hallelujah. And Lord of lords forever and ever. Hallelujah, hallelujah. And it was a holy moment. Tears welled up in my eyes and my heart swells in joy at the King of kings and the Lord of lords and the magnificence and the grace of Him who has conquered sin and death and hell and the grave and will one day raise all who have been justified by grace through faith in Christ. The London Symphony Choir on that afternoon proclaimed to me Christ the Lord and my heart leapt for joy like John's in Elizabeth's womb. When we read of the angelic announcement of Christ's birth and of the unborn prophet's announcement of the Lord's arrival in Mary's womb, we likewise are treading on hallowed ground. The fulfillment of the gospel has begun. The kingdom of God has broken in upon the scene of human history. The Lord of glory has descended from heaven's throne to be born to a poor Galilean virgin, assuming humanity that He might save His people from their sins. Is it any wonder that everyone who witnessed Christ's birth burst forth in God-exalting praise and unparalleled joy? 
the gospel puts people in a singing mood. It caused Mary to burst forth in song, exalting and magnifying the Lord for His mercy toward the humble and the lowly. It caused a mute Zecharias to burst forth in worship, declaring that the Lord had visited His people with salvation and accomplished their redemption by raising up for them a horn of salvation to the house of David. It caused the angels to burst forth in magnificent praise there in the Bethlehem countryside, singing glory to God in the highest. And it caused an elderly Simeon to joyfully proclaim that he could now depart from this life in peace because the Lord had granted him to see the salvation of God. Why all this singing? It's because the gospel is such good news. The Son of God has come to rescue, to redeem, and to reign over His people. The Lord has had regard for our lowly estate, and out of sheer mercy and grace, He has rescued us from the enemy of sin. And that's why everyone who trusts in Christ can join Mary in her song. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For He has looked on the humble estate of His servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For He who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is His name. My Father, I thank You for sending Jesus into this world to regard us in our humble, lowly estate. I thank You for sending Your Son to save us from our sins, to conquer sin and death and hell. I thank You for raising up in Jesus a horn of salvation for all of Your people. And I pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit, You would cause our hearts to rejoice in the hope and the grace and the glory of Christ. Like John in his mother's womb, cause our hearts to leap within us. That on this Christmas morning, we would stand and sing and declare the glories of our King born of the virgin, perfect in life, perfect in death, risen in glory, ascended to the right hand of the majesty on high and coming again to save His people, to make all things new. Father, cause Your people to worship. And cause those who are not your people to become your people through faith in Christ alone. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.